Ryan, Tony, and Chris We can't guarantee that you're gonna look great. But if you wanna stay in shape, well, you better hit the Chinwits. Welcome to the Jim Woods Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony, a registered dietitian. And we are the Jim Woods. So, so I'm about to throw a monkey wrench into what you were about to say just now, uh, but also just into our whole um, recording situation. Cause so, I, so I'm kind of doing the opposite of Tony, where Tony went from kind of a structured corporate life to entrepreneur, and I'm going from more that like you know working for myself to you know corporate world um as like a, i got a so a new job that starts in june as um assistant what is it? assistant fitness manager group fitness director and personal training director hmm. um and so well, really we should be saying uh, we should really be saying congratulations yeah, yeah. no it's, it's a different gig for me as a trainer i mean i've i've done management over the years um but uh this is a, a pretty like significant change for my normal life where it's like a kind of regular hours I also get vacation time and benefits and stuff like that that you don't get as a trainer. So no matter, like no matter how much money or how busy you are as a trainer, like you're only or group fitness instructor, you only make money when you're working. And mm. so often for most gigs, you really don't get the benefits that come with having kind of a steady gig. And I think there's always this trade off of like, you know, doing a normal job, but you also are, are tied to that place versus, you know, the freedom of being a trainer. I think as, as I've gotten older, I'm more like, you know what, I just want my time. And I, I and I, you know, I'd rather security and stability over the kind of chaos that comes with training. So, <laughs> but unfortunately, it cuts right into our recording time. So before the show, yeah, we'll we figure were all kind of like figuring out, okay, how are we going to make this work um, to record? Uh, which we will, but but um, it's going to be a little bit a little different. Um, although it might it might improve the sound quality if if the well no we'll still get the sirens because you'll be here. But um, yeah, well yeah, my <laughs> less yeah, sirens. But, yeah, <laughs> you'll get my cats. A lot yeah. of my cats. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny because while Ryan, uh, well, so Tony is going to, uh, you know, pure entrepreneurship in her own job. Ryan's jumping into the corporate world. I am jumping into the fabulous world of unemployment. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm quitting everything. So I'm going for the complete. Actually, (laughs) since you won't be in New York, you're going to you. You might we might actually have better sound quality. Like it might be a situation where maybe we'll all be off site, but you won't have the New York City noises. Yeah. Yeah. um, yeah, So actually it might improve the sound quality. We'll see. We'll see. It might. So uh, I wanted to start with a couple of inspirational tales. Uh, and one thing that, especially if you've worked in uh, really any job or in the, in the corporate world, uh, especially, you may have seen or, or been, um, you know, uh, been a witness to something like this, where someone is highly touted and you know that either you or someone else is the one with the real talent while someone else is for whatever reason because maybe they they talk the talk uh maybe they look good who knows that that this other person is being highly touted and and getting the push when really the 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 people that are more talented are not so i have two stories uh that are inspirational tales for anyone that has ever felt that they are not getting their um you know their due respect or their push when they're the ones with the real talent so the first one is um, uh, is a fight that happened in a mixed martial arts fight with uh, uh, Michael Page, who was a very highly touted um, 
uh, was very highly touted fighter in Bellator, in the Bellator Fighting Championships, because he was very flashy. He had some really cool uh, knockouts, and he was just you know, sort of a, a you know a, a brash guy. And he fought against a guy named Douglas Lima, who has been a solid professional for a long time. Actually, held titles, but because he's not flashy, was never highly touted. So what happens? Uh, Lima goes in there and just uses great skill and, and just knocks Paige out. And, uh, he's, uh, and now everyone is like, wow, this guy Lima is for real. So after years of, uh, of sort of struggling to be in the limelight while, and witnessing someone like Paige get all the attention, now Lima has the attention and he's really earned it. So I thought that that was a nice little inspirational story. And sometimes, yeah, it takes knocking the, the, <laughs> the, the person who's being highly touted off of the pedestal, right, and, and sort of stealing their thunder. But, but congratulations to Lima. Now he's in uh, a position to do really well. What do you think about, have you, have you witnessed stuff like that, you guys, where someone is highly touted, but really it's someone else who's got the talent? I mean, sure. You see that. All the time, I think where you know, I think I've been on both sides of that. Where yeah. <laughs> I've been the person who probably had the talent and and squandered it, and also the person who probably did the work and not recognized. Um, I'm sure, we all kind of can think of situations like that. But I think that particular fight was a, was a, a good. Uh, you know, that was fun to watch because of you know you had kind of the kind of brash, cocky guy against the kind of workman, and the workman won. And um, you know, yeah, it was good. So, so I have another story, and this now I'm going to geek out a little bit, but I know Ryan will will uh, will appreciate this. So Ryan and I were big professional wrestling fans growing up, and supposedly there was a lost match uh-huh. that happened recently between one guy that was the next the the next big thing in uh, professional wrestling at the time. At the time, it was the 1980s, and Hulk Hogan was king, and he was very famous. And um, there was another guy who was coming up, who Vince McMahon, the owner of the WWE, was. Uh, there was a guy who was touting, and his name was Tom McGee. Mm-hmm. And he fought some sort of middling guy uh, who was going to put him over, which means you're going to make him look good. And Tom McGee was the next big thing. And he fought sort of a middling guy named Bret Hart. And... Uh, Vince was so sure that Tom McGee was the next big champion. Mm. And sure enough, Bret Hart, uh, the, the great Bret Hart, Bret the Hitman Hart, went in there and made him look good. Mm. And who goes on to be the, one of the next big thing? Bret Hart. Yes. Okay. Right. So, and it, I think it's just a, a fun story. You know, Bret Hart was the one with the talent. He was an amazing wrestler and he was just, a, he was a, a, a Hall of Famer. He's all, all time great. And yet it was the other guy who Vince thought was going to be the next big thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, through hard work and dedication is actually Brett that becomes yeah. the, the, the champion. And I think that for, I heard about this on a, on a radio show, that there was, a, there was, no one had seen, or there wasn't footage of this, but it just surfaced recently. Oh, oh okay. Is that, because I was like, where is the story coming from? This is random. So that's why, oh, okay. it, like, it was a sort of a lost match oh, that no one like had YouTube seen. Or something, I or? think you could find it okay. somewhere. Yeah. So it's cool. I'd never even heard of this guy, but I thought that was an interesting yeah. story, how one person who was very highly touted, but it winds up being the other person who goes on and having the stellar career. 
Well, so I know I, that Hitman was one of your favorites yeah. growing up. So yeah, no, you'd cool. get a that's kick out of that. I'll look, look it up. Um, I was going to talk about Game of Thrones, but I feel like we're going to just shut Tony out of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> talking about MMA. Right. <laughs> too much, I, too much yeah. guy geek stuff. I know that next Sunday is yeah. the last episode. Yeah. So after this, I'll be fine. Go yeah. ahead. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> right, yeah. That's enough just, geeking out for the day. It's been super divisive, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk Game of Thrones another time. Right. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation like that, Tone, where... You, where um, where you've seen either someone else who for whatever reason, and there's nothing wrong, maybe they're not a bad person, but for whatever reason, they're getting all the, the, the spotlight. Everyone thinks, oh, this is the next big person or this person is getting all the, uh, all the credit when really it's someone else with the talent, someone else with the hard work. Yeah, I mean... Everyone's seen that, right? Yeah. I think of like, I'm thinking of like, it might be a little bit of a stretch, but it, I'm not even going to say it, but just like certain people that like have this crazy following on like, you know, Instagram or like have their own TV shows and stuff. It's like, just because they're of this status, it's like, they're believed to like be true, but they don't even write their own stuff. First of all, second of all, they might not, that doesn't make them like really good at what they do. They just have a lot of followers. So I just thought yeah. of it that way. No, it, it, it's very true. And we see that a lot today, mm-hmm. especially with, uh, you know, with social media where if you're a good marketer, which is actually a skill in itself, you can't downplay that. If you have a, if you can be good at, you know, marketing your social media, that's a, a great skill. But yes, in this world where, the, you know, so much is based on your, your looks and uh, what you can fool people into thinking, then um, often for the people that are, are truly talented, and um, maybe are, are hardworking, don't get as much, uh, don't get as much of, of the spotlight. Mm-hmm. So I thought that those two stories were nice little inspirational tales. If you're in that situation where you know you're, you know you're better than someone, or you know you're good at the very least, uh, and you know you're hardworking, yet someone, you know, other people are getting the talent, or I'm sorry, other people are getting the spotlight. You know, stick with it. Your talent will eventually rise to the top. The cream will rise, you know, eventually if you stick with it. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my inspirational tale for the day. That was nice. Cool. Okay. So, uh, well, anything else to add before no, we get no, to the studies? It. All right. So, uh, a couple interesting studies for today. Um, one, uh, I mean, it's not a, not a whole ton to it. That I'm going to link to it because there's you know, some more uh, as far as like directions and stuff that I'm not going to get too much into. But um, it's about combining leg day with running, which actually has a kind of practical application. So basically. You know, we think a lot of us do weight training, you know, some kinds of training for the legs, but you also incorporate cardio. And I think there's been a lot of instances um, and studies showing that they they don't necessarily coexist all that well because endurance training, you usually recover pretty quickly. So about within 24 hours where where resistance training can take, uh, you know, several days, could take two, three days potentially to recover from. So there's always kind of a question of how do I program in my cardio and my legs? Do I do both in the same day? How do I get, you know, how do I make it work? Um, And so this study from James Cook University um, kind of took a look at all, you know, um, took a look at all the different studies and um, created kind of flow charts and, and attempted in an attempt to kind of minimize the, the damage done and, and kind of maximize kind of recovery. And so it found that if you're going to do both in the same day, your best bet is to do the endurance first um, and then at least a half a day of rest 
between that and doing your actual strength training. And so again, I'm going to mm. include a link so you can see a lot more of the details um, included in it. Because um, again, it's a lot, a lot of stuff. But uh, but just interesting that you know if you do have to do both in the same day for whatever reason, then your best bet is actually kind of split it up. Do your tra- do your endurance early and then strength training later, which is a little opposite. We typically hear like do your strength yeah, training before the resistance. I think the difference being, if I'm doing like a chest workout. Then I might, or you know, like let's say you know you're doing chest and arms or something like that. you're kind of your standard kind of um, you know standard weight training or whatever strength training. Um, if it's not the legs, you can probably get away with doing that. You can do your you know your chest, back, whatever, and then run afterwards. Um, but in this case, since you need the strength for the legs, so generally the the idea is that the you you know you, you want to use the do the resistance because you're tapping into energy resources um, earlier right. that don't you know where the aerobic is kind of the last resort so you can kind of get away with zapping all of your you know your your short term and medium term st- energy sources you can tap into that doing the strength training and then when those reserves are near depleted you know you'll you'll have enough for the cardio because you just you know you don't need as much of that of that fat you know immediate sources of energy so the but with the legs the difference being that if you start running you're gonna you're gonna zap the legs and so you're gonna be fatigued and then you you won't have i'm sorry um huh, actually yeah that's, that's why completely wrong right um, no, yeah no, but so, wait, no what yeah. you're saying is right but that's why the study is confusing yeah so i so what i I, so that's actually not, I'm not sure. I'm yeah, not sure. That's but why I guess I'm it makes confused. sense. So, so no, here's why. Here's why. Okay, I got it. I'm like all over the place. So, when, if you do the resistance training first, you, you're damaging the legs. So you're going to need that recovery time. And so, if you do the resistance first, you're, you're in the midst of what you're supposed to be a long recovery. Gotcha. And then you're, sense. you're stuck with, you know, trying to then do your cardio. Mm-hmm. If you do the cardio first, because that doesn't require as much recovery time, I think you do the cardio early then you give yourself a half day break and you kind of minimize the damage. So, you know, you're not going to be a hundred percent when you do the resistance training workout, but you, you're also going to be kind of fresher than if you did it the other way around. So that was it. It was like, I knew where my, it was going somewhere. And then I kind of like lost, lost my like train of thought, but that, so I think that that kind that of makes, makes sense, sense if you're doing yeah. those two. But I think if you're going to do like any other body part and cardio, I would do the, do it the opposite. Mm-hmm. Way. So, wouldn't it make sense to say, well, look, just on my leg days, I'm going to not go crazy with the aerobic stuff. Wouldn't that make sure. sense for one day, if you want your one well, leg yeah, day to so not do that? So, okay, but but you're still going to need recovery time. So I think it's, it's a matter of like maximizing, you know, the benefits of both. Yeah, if I'm trying to, you know, put on tons of size on my legs or I want to put a lot of strength, I might just not do cardio. Or you might skip it. But let's say you're in a program where you're doing legs a couple days a week. Well, if you're doing legs a couple days a week, you're going to require that recovery anyway. So if for whatever reason you're you're trying to do that type of training where you're doing two things in the same day, it's called uh, like concurrent training, then that's the best bet. So there's no perfect way. And sure, you can just not do cardio on the same day, but just that that's the... Um, you know, that's a way to do it if you're going to do both in the same day. And then again, you can take a look, different kind of options, different ways to do it. Um, but and eat if lots you're of do carbs. It the same day. Yeah. <laughs> lots of carbs on like that. <laughs> All right. So the second study, this comes from Johns Hopkins University. Um, and basically it's about just a growing number of inactive women, which is, uh, you know, obviously can be and is problematic. So um, it was a national survey of 19 million women dealing with um, cardiovascular disease. Um, is that enough for you? 19 million? Good enough study for you, Justin? I think so. Okay, good. All right, just, just checking, you know, since 
you're the the mayor of uh of of a study land and i need to get your approval um so anyway <laughs> he's shaking uh, <laughs> you have my approval <laughs> okay good all right so uh basically what they found was that half of the women studied or surveyed did not meet the um, minimum physical activity requirements which is would be about 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity per week so 100 minutes 150 minutes total is like the minimum requirement um so what they found was, uh, you know, obviously a number of things. One, the less active you are, the less healthy you are, um, which then is going to increase healthcare costs. Um, so what they also found was that that the women in this study that did meet the physical activity requirements actually spent 30% less on healthcare costs. So you, you know, obviously have a, a whole kind of cascade of, of effects um, from from the inactivity. Um, and so it just kind of highlights the need for physicians to, to really make sure, especially with patients dealing with uh, cardiovascular disease, you know, just how important physical activity is. And I think, you know, there may be some, you know, disconnect. And so you, and you are in a situation where you're suffering from uh, something like cardiovascular disease is actually more important, um, unless it's completely kind of contraindicated that, that you're, you know, getting enough physical activity. Cause that's what, one of the things that's going to, you know, potentially help you and, and save you. Um, and increase, you know, your, your chance of, you know, in, or decrease the mortality risk. Hmm. You know, I, I think it, it files a little under Captain Obvious, yeah. but it's still important. The reason to, why to I would say get it's it out not there. necessarily Captain Obvious, well, it is, but it isn't, is I think for a lot of people, they still feel like, oh, you know, if, if, you, if you're dealing with some kind of a heart issue, there is almost a fear of intense work. And I think it's, you know, it's like anything, there's a risk reward. So for most people, it's going to be beneficial, but you are going to have a small percentage that are going to, you know, that it's not going to have a good effect. And that's just all, that's exercise in general. Most people are going to benefit from it, but you're going to have people who do get injured, who do get sick, um, and even, you know, going, you know, who die. And it's a very, very small percentage. Um, so there is a small risk, but it's more, you know, on average, it's going to be far, far more important to be physically active. But do you think most people are saying, "Oh, I have a cardiovascular issue. I'm not going to work out"? Or sure. do you think that? I mean, uh, you think that a lot of people in that position, uh, a lot, not not all, certainly, because there are so many reasons why one might have a heart issue. Right? Some you might be born with an issue, but as we know, a great amount of cardiovascular is- issues are due to poor lifestyle choices, poor diet, no exercise. So I almost feel like it. The, the a lot of people that are in that situation in the first place are because they've made not the best lifestyle choices. So at that point, they're not going to be like, "Oh, I have a heart issue." They're just that's just not part of their lifestyle to to work out and eat healthy. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. What do you like think? A, a good percentage of, of people. Um, I'm not. Re- I'm not really sure what what what. The, like, I'm not, I'm not sure what your point your the point is. So it's sort of like a chicken or the egg. Yeah. The, uh, so Ryan's saying that a lot of uh, a lot of the women that have cardiovascular issues uh, are not exercising enough. But uh, and what I'm saying is a lot of the the, the women or just anyone in men in too that have cardiovascular issues are in that predicament in the first place because they have made poor lifestyle choices that have right. led to that. Certainly right. not all, but a good percentage for sure. Oh yeah, most definitely. So yeah. it's like now once you've you know, now you've gotten to the point where you have heart issues, perhaps you are obese as well and you you've lived the lifestyle of not being healthy, it it's <laughs> you know, you're just going to jump into a cardiovascular routine. It's not always that simple, you know. Yeah. 
and I, which brings a, brings many other issues. So it's like a doctor can you know, someone can walk into you know a doctor's office. They're they're very overweight and they have a cardiovascular issue or they have they have a heart issue. And the doctor says you need to start you know working out. Right. Well, that's great. A doctor can say that, but if their if their lifestyle is not conducive to that, you know, good luck getting people to start working out or eating healthy all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've talked about that. You know, as Ryan would say, ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I guess brings about a whole other issues. But yes, it is important to know that um, people that have cardiovascular issues, once they are diagnosed with that, are still not. Uh, exercising enough. Yeah. So I think that that is. But no, there is. is I, th- I think there is this kind of stigma. If you do ha- are dealing with a heart problem, there is kind of a stigma attached to intense exercise, and unless it's contraindicated, it, it's something that's going to be beneficial. So you know, obviously, yes. If you if you if you've had heart surgery, you probably the next day don't want to go run a, you know a 10k. But you know, there is um, you know, on some level. That that type of exercise is gonna is gonna be beneficial for most people. There's always gonna be a risk with exercise, but um, I think it's kind of removing that stigma and kind of like we talked about with the food, where if people if people think it's it's a crutch if you think food is um ex, it's eating healthy is too expensive, it's the same kind of a thing where if you don't if you're kind of predisposed to not want to exercise, then you're it's an easy excuse. Like just another a, excuse. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of just kind of want to push past that. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Cool. So I. So today we uh, have you know kind of a little modge podge of stuff. But I was wanted to talk for a while about um, form. So I've always, always have people ask about kind of um, not even necessarily proper form. Um, you know, we're not going to talk about like different exercise specific exercises, but kind of when you're exercising the different positions you're going to be in, and just some basic things to kind of be aware of. Um, now, before I get into kind of my specifics, do you guys have any questions on form or movement or anything that like bugs you when you're exercising? Or So here's the one that I have always wondered, and it's a, about range of, of motion mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to form. So, and I, I, I mean, I, I have a, a you know, rudimentary knowledge of it, but to, to an extent, I just can't go down I just can't extend my body in certain ways. Like for instance, even with my hand, like I, I can't. Like I'm trying to turn my my arm over. Isn't that weird, Tony? Like I can't do this. Like see how easy you do it. I can't, it's like really a, it's like really a struggle for me to just turn my my palm towards the sky. Okay. So like so now um, I know that I can work on it, but like with something with a squat, for instance, it's very very difficult for me to go down far yeah right i can it's just really hard for me mm. um so how important is it that i push through that and i and i just try to do it even if it means using a lot less weight or something like that right is it is it that important like i still know do the right form yeah. but i just can't do the complete range of motion it's a, you, you can have different schools of thought on on this like you're gonna have people that are kind of hardcore like you gotta you know ask to grass like you gotta just you know, do everything you can build as much flexibility as you can um, and then you have others that will kind of say look it doesn't matter your flexibility is your flexibility as long as it's not harming you um, you know you do what you can I, you know I'm somewhere in the middle but leaning a little bit more towards do what your body is capable of so I you know I say you, there is a natural range of motion that you 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 kind of your body's predisposed to. Um, you know, if, if you're finding everyday life activities or, or athletic activities 
are impacted by a lack of flexibility, then you should definitely, you know, you want to try to fix the range of motion, I should say, or the or flexibility or, or that movement, whatever the movement is. So let's say with the squat, like the closest everyday thing we do to a squat is sitting in a chair. So if you find that like just sitting, getting out of your chair, like if you can't get out of, like let's say you, you're, you're sitting upright and then you, you're not using your hands for support. If you have a hard time getting up out of your chair like that, then that may be a problem. So maybe you do need to work on flexibility and or strength um, or, or your range of motion. There are things specific to that movement that you might need to work on. But if in everyday life you just aren't noticing any problems, you know, there's no pain, there's no discomfort, you're, you're not, you know, you're able to perform all the activities you want to perform day to day. Um, you know, I would say, you know, do what's comfortable and do what is within your range. And, you know, like let's say if you're, if you're lifting, if you're doing squats, um, and you find that the range is limited and you want to increase it, sure, but I don't I don't see a need to like, you know, again, ask to grass or I don't see a need to, to, to you know, push your limits of range of motion unless you're, there are already kind of severe limitations. Um, so I'd say go with what your body is kind of naturally able to do. Some people are just naturally more flexible than others. You know, I'm never going to be, you know, a dancer level flexibility. This is never going to happen. But... I would like to, you know, I would like my range of motion better for kicks. So I'm going to do specific things for that specific move. You know, I'm not going to sit and try to touch my toes all day long, but I will be, you know, I'm going to work on types of um, movements that will increase my my ability to to throw higher kicks. You know, so I think you really, you know, to kind of tackle things based on on your body. I, I tend to be kind of a, of that school because I just don't, you know, I don't know that there. You know, unless again, unless it's affecting you day to day, I don't know that it really means that much to really hammer home trying to you know increase your range of motion or your flexibility. Is that similar to like a push up? Like some people can't go all the way where to put their chest yeah. to the like. Is that range of motion thing or is that strength? Strength. That's more strength. But again, you have to kind of you have to. It, it depends on the movement and the person. But generally, that's strength. And even with push ups, so. Uh, it, it depends because there's a lot of shoulder for a lot of people. If you, if someone has really really weak upper body or even m- moderate, there's a lot of shoulder involvement in a push up, and you just always want to be careful with the with mm-hmm. the shoulders as mm-hmm. a, in general. So if somebody's having you know a hard time doing a full range of motion push up. Um, you know, I just gradually increase, you know, so you, you know, over time you, cause, and since it's a strength thing, you can f- try to increase the range of motion, but you just want to do it incrementally because it, there is a lot of shoulder involvement. You want to make sure that they, you know, that the form doesn't collapse and that they don't injure themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so some, with something like a push up, if you're struggling to do it, um, I would just, like I said, you know, have an idea of what your range is and then make it a goal to slowly increase the range, but don't do it in a, don't increase it to the point that it's extremely painful or uncomfortable or the form breaks down. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Oh, I guess while, while the, the push-up uh, question uh, reminded me of something, yeah. something that I've struggled with for years, it's actually with push-ups or uh, similar exercises, and that's wrists. Mm-hmm. Now, as you know, I, I've been playing guitar my whole life and drums, so I, there's a lot of stress on yeah. my wrists. Do you think that's why you can't lift your hand up? Because I, like your hands yeah, are always the that's, other way. That's, the, that, you, you, that's a perfect like, point. It, it's possible, but I think it might be more in my no. Well, you 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 can't turn your palm up, right? I, I, so that's I can. It's so. just it's like it's I can, difficult. It's like a big, that's fine. Like yeah. Because awful. you but you're, if you're always it's not awful. If yeah, you're, you're always, always like this. You're position. always the opposite yeah. direction. That makes so much sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Tony's right. Because do it with your right hand. Wait. Which 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 hand do you strum with? 
uh, you're right, right, right and yeah. you're, you have heart. Your range is limited more. Both hands, right, both but, but far more on your right. Look, is you it? Can't, yeah. yeah, yeah, far more. Totally. So, yeah, no, uh-huh. so Tony had it right. <laughs> well, so there you go. It just it shows that you know when you do a motion over and over again, like that's uh, yeah. your body gets used to it. That makes sense. Um, so I, I've had a lot of wrist because of that, yeah. and also for you know doing martial arts and lifting weights, uh, it's a lot of stress on the wrist. And as you know, you can't really build up your wrists. Yeah. So, what are some some ways to preserve your wrists? That, that's a good question. Um, y- you know, one thing like I know is, people wrist curls, but that's yeah, not a curl I wrist; mean, that's a forearm. Full range of motion on the wrist is important. So, doing things that really work—you know, your wrist does a lot of different things. You can flex, you can extend, um, you can invert, you can evert, you can um, laterally flex, um, you can you can rotate. Um, you know, medially, you can rotate laterally, you can supinate, you can pro- So a lot of stuff is going on with the wrist um, and the hands. Uh, so if you, like a, as a guitar player, where you're doing kind of one specific motion on the wrist, you want to be able to, comp- you know, to, to complement that or, or counter that with movements that, that, that work the wrist in all other directions so that you're not, there's not kind of a major kind of compensation pattern. But there's not a lot you can do, you know, depending on the sport, like if you're play, boxing, definitely like wrapping the wrist is important. Um, you know, it, doing grip type exercises can help because that can build the build the muscles on the forearm, possibly take some of the strain off the wrist. Um, and, you know, just being aware of, of, you know, kind of being aware of how you're feeling and when you need to taking time off. Like, you know, if, you, if you're a boxer and, and your wrist is bothering you, maybe take the day off, you know, maybe you want to relax a little bit. Um, or you need to do some other things for care. You need to go to PT. So, you know, I just say making ma- making sure that you're maximizing the the full range of movements in the wrist is important. Um, what about like what they say? Keep your wrist very straight when you're doing like a bench press or a push. Like, yeah. is there any credence I mean, to that? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's going to minimize the strain. That's going to keep give you better kind of leverage, put you in a better mechanical position. So I think. That's fine, but I think you know, just in general, if you, if you're doing any one activity a lot, you need to move around. You know. Yeah, it was one activity, but then you know, I did kickboxing for a while, and you know, yeah. hitting, punching a heavy bag, you know, yeah. puts. And I mean, if there's an injury, the then like you know, like it always, you know, I'm not the guy to talk to. You go to yeah. physical therapy. There's no injury. It's just or, or, you, you know, go to a doctor possibly. Yeah. You know. But you know, otherwise, I did go once. They they I, they I, it was for my wrist and, and hand. They said that I have tendonitis, which of yeah. course, as we know, means nothing. What it just it? means you have the, the inflammation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is one of the most annoying uh, diagnoses. It's like, oh, great, what do you do? You know, take take yeah. Advil. Right. Yeah, pretty Cooper much. turmeric. Seriously. <laughs> All right, so, um, so what we're going to talk about a little bit today is some positioning things to be aware of. So, so like, when you are exercising, what are some things you want to think about? And um, so in almost any... So we'll talk a little bit standing, seated, bent over. Um, so a couple of those things. Now, obviously, you know, it'd be probably a little bit better to have a visual guide here. Um, so I'll do my best to describe things. Um, but basically, so when you're standing... So, well, so I guess I'll start a little bit further back. A couple things to think about is uh, you think... You know, I'm going to kind of go from the ground up. So we'll talk about your foot position, your knee position, your hip position, your trunk, you know, shoulder blades and head. So when you're standing, you know, a couple things to think about is that your feet should be about hip width apart, uh, maybe a little wider, maybe a little more narrow, depending on, on your, you know, your comfort. Um, the knees should always be kind of slightly bent. So there's a little bit of give in the knees. Um, what happens is if you're, you know, you're, so your back, there should always be like a slight arch in the back that's natural, but you want to kind of brace your stomach as if you're bracing for a punch. 
um, and shoulder blades are kind of back, like you know, like kind of the cue is kind of like you're, if you're squeezing like a, a berry between your shoulder blades or something. So, and then heads back. So if you were against the wall, you know, the points touching the wall, like if you're standing against the wall, the back of your head would touch the wall, back of your shoulders would touch the wall, your butt would touch the wall, you know, your mid lower back, middle back would touch the wall. Be there would be a slight arch in the lower back enough to fit maybe your fingers. Um, and your heels would touch the wall. So that's kind of like ideal. But I think most of us have the kind of head forward position. The shoulders are, are rounded. So th- those are some kind of things to think about. Again, feet hip width apart, you know, knees bent. Now, the reason why the knees want to be, you want the knees bent is um, it's all kind of connect, it kind of links in the chain. So if you straighten up the knees fully, that pulls down on the pelvis. And then if it pulls down on the pelvis, that means you're going to arch your back too much. And then you're not able to brace the stomach. So again, feet hip width apart, knees bent slightly, stomach's braced. Um, shoulder blades together when you're standing. You look like you have a question. No, just, okay, no, no, I'm just all right. so trying to visualize all of it. Yeah. So now when you're seated, it kind of very similar. So you know you want to be if you're seated, you still want to have the feet about hip width apart. Ideally, you can get close to a 90 degree angle at the knees, but then everything else is the same. A slight, slight arch in the back, but stomach is braced, shoulder blades together. Um, now, if you're doing a movement bent over, like a bent over row, like where you're standing, you know, but rowing. So the the thing to consider with movements like that, like a bent over row is a good example. The point is working the lats. So you're trying to get your lats as close to parallel to the floor as possible. So you're, you want to get your trunk as close to parallel to the floor as possible, which is for a lot of us not going to be fully possible flexibility wise because when as you get close to parallel, you might start to round the back. So things to consider with that is you want to sit back and lean forward as much as you comfortably can with the back, your trunk still being relatively straight. So you're not like rounded at the top of the back, but again, shoulder blades together um, and kind of stable so that you're not, you know, not unstable, not falling forward. You don't feel like you're falling back. So that could be a tricky one for some people. Some people can get fully parallel. Some people are at maybe 45 degrees. And for some people, you're just going to want to avoid that exercise altogether and do something like with a cable um, where you, where you can, um, you know, adjust for your, you know, the lack of flexibility um, to get into that position. So now if you're lying on your back, so in that situation, um, like on a bench um, or even on the floor. So again, you want to make sure. So if you're on the floor, then the knee, the feet will be on the floor. So the you know knees are bent, but high. If you're on a bench, then the feet will be on the floor, but your kind of butt's elevated. So either way, you know, still want to have the feet about hip width apart. Um, you still want to have that those points of contact. So the butt's contacting with the with the bench and there's that slight arch in the lower back but your your abs are tight so you're bracing your stomach um so there's just a very slight arch um but then again same thing shoulder blades are together heads back against the floor so you want to make sure that you're not kind of pushing your head a common thing for people to do is kind of heads move heads pushed forward while they're doing kind of a bench press or something where they're lying on the floor so you still kind of have those points of contact on the floor and feet are flat so whether if it's on a bench and your feet are up you may need to lower the bench a little bit um and if you're on the floor just make sure the feet are bent flat and you're in a kind of comfortable position yeah so now what about if you're doing exercises off of a physio ball where your back is to the where you're sort of same thing so so you're so on a physio ball is a good question generally resting on your upper back and head um but again depending on the movement you might need to change that up a little so but generally like upper back and head resting against the ball with, with something with like a physio ball. But everything else is the same. You want to, in that case though, your trunk is not being supported. So you have to brace the stomach, engage the glutes to keep the hips up. Um, so those are things you want to consider when you're doing like an exercise, like lying on a physio ball. Um, and then, so a couple things like movement wise. So then you're dealing with like 
um, so rotational movements, um, like where you're where you're twisting, you want to make sure. Well, actually, let me start. I'll start early for a squat. So we'll do a, do a squat first. So when you're doing a squat, like some a couple mistakes people make is either they bend too much at the waist or they bend too much at the knees. So they almost like try to sit back with an upright spine or they they fall forward but they don't bend the knees enough. So ideally you're doing both things at once. You hit, you shoot your hips back which causes your your you to bend forward at the waist but also to bend at the knees. And um, so when you're doing that uh, if you think like if you look like imagine looking at somebody doing a squat from the side, as they sit back there's going to be a little shift forward where the shins are and the trunk shifts forward so ideally the angle at the shins at the trunk are close to parallel if, you, if that makes sense like when you're sitting back that both of those remain relatively the same if the if it's not then they're or not close to it then there's either too much of a bend forward or not enough of a bend forward or too much of a bend at the knees or not enough of a bend at the knees and the other big thing with the squat is that imagine there if there's a perpendicular line from your toes your knees shouldn't cross that line and that's kind of common knowledge but something to be aware of because i see tons of people doing squats where the knees are way in front of the toes you kind of want to be aware of that um so the other thing is like a hinge type movement so like if you ever you guys on the kettlebell swings mm -hmm. so same thing with the kettlebell swing so that that hinging motion is the, it's all in the hips so i think a lot of times you'll see someone do a kettlebell swing where it looks like basically a squat and you You'll bend the knees slightly with the kettlebell swing, but the movement of the, of the swing is really the hips hinge back and forward. So you, you shoot your hips back and then shoot the hips forward, and that movement's what creates the momentum which, where you transfer the energy through the arms into the kettlebell. So the movement then, when you shoot your hips back, you shoot your waist, kind of your trunk falls forward, the knees bend slightly, and then by driving the hips forward, you kind of engage the glutes and shoot the hips forward you transfer the energy into the kettlebell. So that's gotta be done kind of quickly and each move has to kind of um, fall into the other. So when you shoot forward, the weight goes up and as the weight comes back down, that has to, momentum has to continue into the hips going back and then you shoot the hips forward and you're able to get the swing. If you do it like a squat, then it becomes like kind of a different exercise, you know? Um, so with, uh, so now rotation. So if you're doing a movement where you're rotating, a couple things to consider are the, the hip, your kind of hip positioning. So if you if you're rotating to your right, generally you're going to want to pivot at least your left foot. So that opens up your hips and allows your trunk to rotate properly. So what will happen a lot of times is people will rotate but they keep their feet really planted and rigid and then they end up a, a lot going on in the spine and a lot more uh, kind of torque that's unnecessary. You know, when you're doing the, the a rotation or a chop, the chop should be kind of a natural movement and so you want to pivot. If you watch a baseball player swing a bat or a, a golfer a swing or like throw that, a yeah. punch, they're pivoting on that kind of out to the rear side. That allows you to turn your hips, which allows you to generate power. And so if you don't turn your hips, um, this is a lot of unnecessary movement and um, you know, it's functionally not great. And there's a lot more you know, greater potential for injury when you're doing that. So if you're doing any kind of rotational or chopping movement, try to pivot as you do it and make sure your hips kind of rotate with your shoulders. Hips and trunk, shoulders kind of pivot, rotate together. Um, so a couple more movements um, so if you're doing a pushing movement so like a bench press shoulder blades together um, try to keep the head back so you're not shooting your neck forward and you're not um, allowing your shoulders to project forward so especially like a bench press if you want your chest to do the work you want to keep the shoulder blades back down and back and allow the chest to do the movement but if you release the upper back then it's a lot of shoulder work 
and then you could put a lot more undue strain on the shoulders. Um, and on the flip side, if you're doing a pulling movement, the same thing. You know, the, by stabilizing the shoulders, you allow the lats to do the work. So you want to keep the shoulder blades back and together as you pull. So if you if you want to get full range, what you'll see people do, like if they do like a, um, a row, is when they reach the arm, extend the arms, they'll release the shoulders as well. But if you do that, you want to make sure that you pull the shoulders back first, and then you pull the weight. You know, if that makes makes sense. Um, and then uh, plank. So if you're doing a plank, so just like we talked about, if you're, you know, everything's kind of the same as if you're standing. You know, you want to have the uh, almost a straight line from the shoulders down to the ankles and bracing the stomach and not too much of an arch in the back. And if you do have an arch in the back or if you find it's too hard, then just bend the knees and drop the knees to the floor. So then instead of a straight line from the ankles to the shoulders, there's a straight line from the knees to the shoulders and you'll kind of get the same benefit of doing that. So I've heard that when doing certain exercises, especially back exercises, uh, deadlift, uh, even row, that you always want to face forward. You never want to like look at yourself if there's a mirror on the side. Is there any truth to that? Like, like, yeah. like if you're doing a deadlift, for instance, you never want to like turn your head. You, yeah, no, the, you want your spine in a neutral position. So if you're if you kind of look at the way where the spine is, right, and then that obviously your head connects to the cervical spine. You, if you turn your head, that you know any rotation in the spine, like kind of, a you know potentially can be bad if you have heavy weights, but also it's going to affect everything else. So you can't like you can't rotate a segment by itself, and so you compromise the kind of your the I guess structural integrity of your body by by rotating or moving or shifting or doing something mid movement with a heavy weight. So you want to maintain that kind of structural integrity so you want to keep the spine in as close to kind of a neutral position as possible so if you're doing a deadlift or a squat you know ideally if you 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 can use your eyes to look while you maintain the right position but if you if you start looking up that's you know it it just increases the risk of injury especially rotating is really a bad idea so you definitely don't want to rotate your neck as you're doing it and like look at yourself in the mirror if you're doing if there's a mirror on your side but yeah even with that you don't necessarily want to like look up as you're doing the move once as you you know once you start try to keep as much as close as you can to a neutral position to again keep you stable and kind of maximize the integrity so okay so i have a question about squats yeah you know like the machines where it's like oh god how do i explain this it's not a free weight Mm. so you know like you squat down with the machine oh yeah like the smith machine yes that's what they're called like i don't like those at all um is that good for someone just starting out if they want proper form because it's I, yeah like yeah. What, what what tell us about that so I mean, <laughs> the, so it's I that's like been that. always a big thing like they would always say like never do a smith machine you know like there's kind of like a natural arc to most movements and since the smith machine is kind of in one line and one range i feel like it's so difficult it, yeah it's generally really hard to do i would say definitely not for a beginner um it's just you're not going to learn the proper movement. So I'd rather you're better off doing body weight squats if you're a beginner than doing Smith machine squats. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're better, you know, doing very light squats, um, you know, with a bar than you are doing it with the Smith machine. Um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know that it's the worst thing in the world if you're experienced and you don't have a spotter and you want to do weight. I think, you know, I would say it's probably, less safe than doing normal squats but i also think that you know we've always kind of, we kind of we talk about the smith machine as if it's the worst thing in the world and I, you know i don't know that it's that bad either i don't you know read you know as much as like we'd like to talk about how horrible it is like i haven't read enough to say that yes it's definitely that bad i just don't think it's as good as doing uh, you know free weight because it's not a natural movement so i would say definitely beginner no 
Um, and most advanced or seasoned uh, exercisers, I don't see a reason why. Like, I, it, you're better off doing a lighter weight with a free weight bench or a free weight squat squat rack than you are doing, you know, really, really heavy with the Smith machine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if that's all you have access to, I, you know, it's probably not the worst thing in the world, but I definitely think that, you know, there, there are more risks and it's definitely riskier than doing it normally. But, you know, I don't think you're going to kill yourself if you're using a Smith machine either. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Anything else? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, w- with jumping. Yeah. With w- what is the proper way to? I know it's it sounds simple, but uh, jumping yeah. can uh, actually can cause injury, and I'm sure yeah. a lot of people have injured themselves trying to jump. And there's different types of jumps. There's box yeah. jumps. There's um, jumps where you ex- you know you sort of explode up there, where you j- f- jump into a low. Uh, we, we almost fall into a squat. There's plyometric jumps. Yeah. So do you talk a little bit about sort of the, the proper way to yeah, jump I'll just, I'll just and almost more importantly, the proper way to land? I'll say basic jump. Yeah, well, yeah. So if you're base for the basic regular jump, I think a couple of things to think about. It, it's a very much like a squat, right? Um, you're, you're relying on momentum as much as you can to, to and, and kind of tr- energy transfer to get you up as high as you can. And then depending on how high you jump, there's a significant amount of weight now falling down to the floor. So as you said, like if if you don't land properly, it could be jarring and it could potentially lead to an injury. So for the for the jumping part, I think an important thing is to not slack off on the preparation for it. So I think a lot of people, I'll see people do jumps and they just kind of like half-ass the, you know, the get doing the jump. So make sure you're sitting back just like with the squat or like a hinge. So it's kind of mixing the hinge with the squat where you, you know, you sit back, lean forward, your arms should swing back, you know, kind of behind you. And then you, it's a sequential movement. So you start by swinging your arms up, right? Then you, as you're doing that, you begin to drive, you know, drive through your heels up towards you know, the ceiling. And so it's kind of a se- sequential movement there where the arms kind of help the trunk move, which helps the hips drive forward, the legs, quads extend, and you're up. So doing that, you're kind of able to, it's like a squat, basically, kind of very similar to a squat. It's just an explosive squat, and you're, you're really trying to, you know, generate as much power as you can upwards. Now, the, you know, the key there then is on the landing, the landing's got to be as soft as, as possible. So ideally, you want to make as, think about it as making as little noise as possible. So like we could both, you know, I could jump right now, I'm 165 pounds, and I could do a jump where I just make a clunk, and then I can also do a jump where I make a very, very soft sound. And so it's all in how you land. If you land soft, and that means kind of like you fall into the landing. So you kind of, as you're landing, you're falling into another squat. So kind of the ideal landing puts you back in position to jump again because you're kind of hitting the ground but your your weight's still go- dropping down as you fall back into that squat. So you want to think about it as like you jump and as you land, you want to land back into position to jump again. You know, rather than jumping and then landing with straight legs and kind of clunking on the ground and then resetting, you want to make it efficient. So as you land, you're landing in position to jump again. Then you jump again. And as you land, you land back in position to jump again. Again, it's one of those things a little harder. A lot of this is a little bit harder to describe than, than to show, but you know, just think, uh, you know, when you're, if you're jumping, try to make it as quiet of a landing as possible, and that generally is, you know. No, what if you're landing on something? Like what? Like a box jump. Same, I mean, it doesn't change the principle. I think the big thing with a box jump is not doing it too, too high. You know, even, I, you know, I had somebody doing a jump the other day, six inches, I thought it was nothing for them, and they almost tripped and fell into a bicycle. So you have to be, mm-hmm. you know, you still have to be, you know, when you're doing jumps, um, it's got to be something that you're comfortable with. Um, otherwise, start very low. 
um, make sure there's nothing on the floor in front of you or behind you. Because I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people do jumps where they just left weights sitting behind them oh, and they're gosh. ready to jump and land into weights. So you just want to make sure that you're you're still always focused on the landing um, and that it's a height that's you know comfortable for you and that you know there are not objects around you that you can land or fall onto. I find there's a big confidence thing. Like if you don't think you can get the jump, don't jump it. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're probably fall. Sh- like, but if you really, I don't know, this is like separate, but like if you really feel like you can get the jump, you're going to get the jump because I just, I, I really, it comes from there because when you hesitate, that's when the foot doesn't go up. That's when you, yeah. you know, you falter, but like, yeah, start, start baby small. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, no, yeah. Now what about being able to properly do a plyometric jump? So, uh, or anything plyometric, how to make sure that you're actually using I mean, that, well, that, 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 what's it, what's the energy? It's like reactive or stretch reactive. shortening cycle, a number like, of things, but it's, it, that's, le- that we, you know, we almost want to refer to our plyometric episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that's not something we can really cover today because it's okay. very specific. It's very technical. And I would say that should be under the supervision of, of a professional. Oh, really? Uh, you know, yeah. Um, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could try it. You could, you know, look it up, look up stuff, buy books, listen to our podcast episode on it. But it is highly specific, and depending okay. on the kinds of plyometrics you're doing, because I think a lot of people talk, you know, again, plyometrics is a, is, is a very specific thing, and I think people just um, whole cloth use like anything that's jumping as plyometric, and that's not really what plyometric training is. So. You know, I would just say, yeah, you definitely if you're going to do specific real plyometrics, you want to do that with the with somebody who knows what they're doing and know, knows how to teach it um, and not just jump into it, especially things like depth jumps, like where, you know, they, they, you really need to be brought along to do stuff like that. You can't just kind of jump into it like it's nothing. Hey, good to know. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you guys have questions on form or movement or any of that stuff. Um, please, uh, yes, leave us a message at thegymwits.gmail.com or um, you can do it, ask the trainer um, on the website, which is thegymwits.com. Um, but I guess that's it. Um, not much else to add today. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth doesn't sell. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony, a registered dietitian, helping you get healthy one bite at a time. And we are the Gym, gym Wits. Wits.